In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. First Peter, chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is the word of God. Good morning, church family. So I got a question for you. The question is this. Have you, any of you ever had your world turned upside down? Some of you have, and I'm not speaking metaphorically. I'm speaking physically. When I was a kid, one of the things that I used to love to do was we had a, a living room that was sunken. So there was a step that led down into the living room, kind of like you've been in my house, like the house I have now. And we had a, a, a couch that sat right on the edge of that ledge. So sometimes my sister, my twin sister and I would go and we would sit on the top of that couch and we would flip backwards and our legs would catch right on the seat. You know what I'm talking about? And so we look backwards like this and we'd, we'd, we'd look at the, at the roof, of, at the ceiling of our house. You ever done that? If you haven't, you should try it. If you're, if you're, if you're too old for that, please don't hurt yourself. But I would encourage you to, to, to try it. It's a different kind of experience. It's like your world is flipped upside down. And, and, and you, I picture myself like walking on the ceiling, avoiding the ceiling fan and, and stepping over the thresholds. And, and it, it just opened my eyes to the reality that my house was bigger than I thought. And then uh, a few years ago when I was in college, a friend of mine had, um, had a, a thought. They said, go out to, uh, in the middle of the night, go out, right outside your dorm room, outside your dorm, and, and I went out, if you've been at OU, you know that there's a, there's a couple of towers, at least they used to be, I don't, they're doing everything at OU, but there's some towers, and in the middle of it, what they called the Walker Adams Mall, there was a basketball court right out in the middle of everything, outside. And I went out there one night, I laid down, looked up at the stars, and they said, don't look up, look out. As I did that, I began to see that, that the trees that I thought were so tall were actually like microscopic. And the, the buildings that I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't reach the top of were, were, were minuscule compared to the galaxies and the, the stars and the constellations that were before my eyes. The world was was much bigger than I thought. Just like my house when I was a kid. Now, Peter today has given us a text where he's asking us to hook our legs on the end of the couch and flip upside down and look and see how expansive is this gospel? How how big is this salvation? 
Because it's much bigger than we think. There's, there's corners that, that we forget to look into. And there's, there's, there's vaulted ceilings like this that draw our eyes up, that, that draw eyes out of even our current experience. So when we, when we look up at the expanse of the gospel and then come back to our present experience, we're different people. We're changed. And so we see it with new eyes. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that today you'll realize that the gospel is much bigger than you think. And I'm, I'm hoping that and praying that for the rest of your life, you will commit yourself to exploring every inch, every centimeter, every millimeter of the gospel of salvation that is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, the gospel is this, that you and I are sinners who are born into sin and we break the law of the holy God. And because of that, we deserve to be separated from God forever. But God sent Jesus into the world to die on the cross for our sins. So if we just simply believe the fact that we are sinners who deserve hell, damnation, separation from God, and we just trust in Jesus, trust Jesus as our rescuer, that we will be brought into a new family of God, our sins will be forgiven, we'll be reconciled to God, and we have hope that forever we're going to dwell with him in peace. That's the gospel. If you just, if you just say yes to Jesus today, then every inch of the expanse we're going to talk about will be yours in Christ Jesus. I want to stop and I just want to pray that God would help us to have eyes to see what he wants us to see. Would you bow your heads with me? Our Father in heaven, we are desperate for you today. We need you. And I thank you that you are the God who comes to desperate people. That you fulfill our longings, the deepest longings of our heart. There's no place in the galaxy you would not go for us to show us how much you love us to remind us of your grace. I pray that you give us eyes to see the beauty, the riches, the glorious inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name, knowing we have your spirit to help us. Amen. Well, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Peter is writing this letter to people like you and me, people who are elect exiles. Everybody say elect exiles. They're ordinary, regular people who turned the authority of their lives over to Jesus. This means that every other authority, Caesar's authority, their parents' authority, their spouse's authority, their authority over themselves is all subject to the authority of Jesus. And this transfer of authority has a myriad of implications that Peter is going to unpack throughout the letter. Mainly it means they no longer fit into the world's mold their motivations, and subsequently their activities are, are different from the world. They are chosen by God, and they've been sown into the world as pictures of a new way of living, a new way to be human. Last week, we talked about the inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. God's salvation is an invitation to participate in an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's a treasure that death can't touch, that sin can't touch, that time can't touch. And it's yours just by grace, right? Right, Mr. Webb? 
This inheritance is the aim of our faith. And today, Peter's going to illumine for us how expansive this salvation is that's ours in Christ. Now, it would be helpful for us to know something about the people that Peter's writing to. The rest of the letter, Peter's going to give us clues that he's writing to Gentiles. Now, in this day and time, the world could be divided into two groups of religious people. You have Jews and you have Gentiles. Jews were the ethnic descendants of Abraham. They were God's covenant people. In other words, God made promises to this people that he was going to bless them and he was going to make them a great nation. He was going to bless all the nations of the world through this nation. The Gentiles didn't know that history. They were alienated from the promises of God. They didn't know about God's steadfast love and and his faithfulness that he had shown to his people over the centuries. But this was their history. When these Gentiles turned from their sin and trusted in Jesus, they were adopted into a new family. And Paul says in Romans that they were like a wild tree that was grafted into a cultivated olive tree. All the blessings and promises of God's covenant with Abraham now fall on the whole family of God, which includes all Jews and Gentiles who have trusted in Christ as Savior and as Lord. That includes you and me. What this means for us is that Christian salvation is much bigger than our individual deliverance. It is our individual deliverance, but it's more than that. Christian salvation is the inquiry of prophets. It's the mystery of angels. It's the message of the preacher, and it's the revelation of Christ, is what Peter's going to tell us. When we think about salvation, we tend to focus our thoughts on either our individual deliverance or on societal flourishing. Thank God, individual deliverance is a part of the gospel. Jesus died for me, amen? Amen. Jesus died to rescue me from the penalty of my greed and selfishness and anger. He died to redeem me from the power that sin has on my soul and on my behavior. He died to free me ultimately from the presence of lust and pride in my life. Hallelujah. How great a salvation. But that's not all. Thank God. God's salvation looks like societal flourishing. It looks like loosing the bonds of wickedness, undoing the straps of the yoke, letting the oppressed go free and breaking for good every yoke. It looks like justice and righteousness and equity in every good thing. It looks like freedom from exploitation and oppression. It looks like people from every tribe, tongue, and language communing with the triune God and with one another in perfect harmony without any abuse of power or weapons of mass destruction. Thank God for his promise of comprehensive human flourishing. Amen? Hallelujah. How great a salvation. But that's not all. Peter is tearing back the curtain on the expanse of our salvation. He says, it's bigger than the prophets understood. It's bigger than the angels understood. When that father or grandmother or uncle or friend or roommate or pastor or priest or made-for-TV movie told you about Jesus, 
They were announcing to you the culmination of a cosmic narrative that has existed since way before you were born and which won't end. It's the story of God's redemptive purposes for all of creation, visible and invisible. And for all of history, from the ancients to the return of Christ, when you said yes to Jesus, you entered into the, the climax of the epic story of all time. The gospel is much bigger than you think. And my hope is that by the end of this time, you will want to spend the rest of your life exploring just how great is this salvation. Let's start with the prophets. Who are the prophets? And the prophets show up in our text. It's concerning their salvation. The prophets prophesied. The prophets were ordinary men and women like you and me who God called to give his word to his people. Prophets were the one who gave the, thus says the Lord. They spoke about God's mercy and they spoke about God's judgment. When they got it wrong, there were consequences. They might get eaten by a lion. When they got it right, there might be consequences because people didn't want to hear the word of God. They might be rejected by friends and family. They might be put into stocks. They might have to run for their lives, but they were compelled to prophesy by the calling of God. Jeremiah describes it as a fire, shut up in my bones. He says, I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Prophets had to speak the word of God. Now, these, these prophets lived for millennia. I want you to think about the prophets. Think about those who spoke the word of God, all those that, that you might have heard of or might know. Think about Moses and Deborah and Elijah and Elisha and Huldah and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea and Joel and Amos and Obadiah and Jonah and Micah and Nahum and Habakkuk and Zephaniah and Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi. What are they all doing? In all their times, and in all their places, they're trying to speak the word of God. And what Peter tells us is they are searching and inquiring carefully. They are probing and exploring and examining and questioning and trying to understand the mystery of God's grace. They get visions of it. How will God redeem his people? How will he cover their transgressions? How will he prove to be both just and merciful? How will he not deal with us according to our sins when he is a holy God who cannot lie? Who will do it? What human king can establish a universal reign of peace that will never end? Who will rescue us from the boot of oppression forever? Who is the servant of the Lord who will pour out his soul to death and be numbered with the transgressors? Who will bear the sins of the people and intercede for sinners? How will God's enemies be called by his name? How do suffering and glories go together? Now we know his name. What's his name? Jesus. Searching and inquiring, inquiring and searching these Prophets put in work to try to figure out what God could possibly mean by grace. 
And what Peter tells us is that the Spirit of Christ was fueling that inquiry. The Spirit of Christ, the same Christ who was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, descended to the dead, was raised on the third day, ascended into heaven, sits right now at the right hand of God the Father, is going to come back to judge living and the dead. That Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Christ was fueling all that inquiry. He was empowering their search so that at just the right time, Christ would be revealed and history would make sense. And you and I are recipients of that good news. I like the way Edmund P. Clowney puts it. He says, Jesus is therefore not simply the one of whom the prophets speak. He is the one who speaks through the prophets. Get this. Since the beginning of human history, Jesus has been speaking grace to you. Since the world began, Jesus has been informing human history with the grace that is yours in Christ Jesus. What was hidden to the prophets is revealed in Jesus. What they saw from a distance, we experience in communion with Jesus. It was just announced to us. There's some implications of this. One implication is this. Church, the prophets are yours. They're yours. Read the Old Testament. Read Jesus' words to you. Discover the riches of your inheritance as seen in the imagery of Isaiah and the promises of Ezekiel. Find God's faithfulness in Hosea and his mercy in Jonah. See his justice in Nahum and his promises in Habakkuk. They will stretch your imagination and help you dream of new creation. Go get your grace. I hope you, you are enlightened and inspired to, to satisfy yourselves in the beauty of Scripture. We have Scripture revealed in Jesus Christ. So the mystery of God's grace in Christ Jesus eluded the prophets, but, and this is fascinating, it also eludes the angels. I'm not going to take much time on this, but we've got to look at the end of verse 12. Look what he says. He says, these things, what I'm talking about, this salvation, this, these things that are yours in Christ Jesus, these things are things into which angels long to look. I want you to think about this. The author of Hebrews tells us that angels are ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. He's saying that angels work to serve, protect, care for, and guard Christians. We find them all throughout the Bible. They worship God in his throne room day and night. They maintain God's justice. They are agents of God's judgment and God's peace in the world. They can take on the form of a human, and they appear as warriors of light. We see them at Isaiah's calling and in numerous places in the Old Testament. We see them announce the message of Jesus' birth to Mary Joseph and some shepherds. Talk about that every December. We see them announce the message of Jesus' resurrection to some scared disciples. We hear about that at Easter. But here in America, we often forget they even exist. This is a corner of our house we should spend a little more time in. It's apparent from Scripture that they are 
more alive than we care to notice. Throughout Christian history and even in other places in the world today, the presence of angels and of demons is given more weight. The reality is that there are angels present right now, right here. And everywhere you go, I was talking with John Mark about this the other week, there are twice as many beings there than you see. And what we see here is that in all that angels represent, in all that they have designated power to do and accomplish, they wonder at God's grace. The phrase there, to look, literally means to stoop down and look closely, to peer at, to investigate, to inquire. They're studying, examining, and contemplating. They're longing to understand. And what are they trying to understand? They're trying to understand grace. They're trying to understand the gospel. Angels study you to try to figure out how God's, God is at work in salvation. I heard somebody once say that Christians are a master's degree for angels. It's grad school. They're studying you. They're inquiring. They're trying to figure out how in the world could God's grace come to somebody like you? How is God so good? And yet sometimes we stop short of exploring the riches that are ours in Christ Jesus, right? Prophets longed for it. Angels longed for it. And yet it's announced to us. Who shared the gospel with you? Think about it. Who shared the gospel with you? Was it your mom? Jesus. That's, really, that's the climax, brother. We're going to hold that for a second. Was it your mom? Was it your dad? Was it your youth minister? Some stranger on the street? Somebody came up to you while you were eating lunch? Was it a TV evangelist? Was it some Facebook message? Was it a friend or a peer? Was it a priest? Who shared the gospel with you? That's right. When they shared the gospel with you, what Peter's telling you is the Holy Spirit was sent from heaven to announce to you the good news about Jesus. Not only has Jesus been speaking to you throughout all of history, but in your present life, for some of you, numerous times, Jesus has been coming to you by the power of the Holy Spirit through men and women who just are surrendered to the will of God to preach the gospel to you. The gospel comes as people translate the word of God and interpret the word of God and speak the word of God in every corner of the globe. That's how it got to you. That's how it got to you, which has significant implications for our lives. Because every time you share the gospel, every time 
you message somebody about the gospel, every time you take time out of your day to go over to a neighborhood to preach the gospel and play games with kids and spread the gospel to adults, Jesus is at work sending the Holy Spirit to announce the good news through you to somebody who hasn't heard it deep enough yet. You are part of a cosmic story that God is writing in the life of somebody, in the life of everybody. And every time you share the gospel, you are experiencing communion with Jesus. You are his messenger to announce his good word to the world. Don't stop sharing the gospel. Jesus wants to get his gospel out. He spoke through the prophets. He spent preachers to speak to you. He wants you to get the gospel. And he sends you with the gospel. Now, there's something we can learn from all this that Peter's going to continue to unpack throughout his letter. There's two words in here I want you to see. Everybody say the word suffering. Everybody say the word glories. You see how those two words are connected? There's the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Glory comes from suffering. Now, I've been spending time meditating on 1 Peter with a special friend of mine. I hope I get to meet her at some point. Some of you have, have read the, 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 the book on Christian history by Justo Gonzalez, The Story of Christianity. If you haven't and you want to know about, more about Christian history, I encourage you to pick up that book. But his wife is also a scholar. Her name is Catherine Gonzalez Gonzalez, and she has a commentary on 1 Peter. I just want to read you some words from her that I think are really important for Christ Community Church to get today in light of this passage from 1 Peter 1. She says this, in talking about the salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus, the gospel that God has called you to go preach, the gospel God has brought to you. She says, this idea of redemption is far different than the individualistic one we often encounter. Moses could not enter the promised land himself, and yet his eyes beheld it. Remember that story? God said, because you didn't, you didn't keep my word at, uh, when, when I told you to, to speak to the rock and you hit it, I'm not going to let you go in the promised land, but God had mercy on him, and his eyes still beheld it. Does this mean that he had no joy because he himself did not set foot in the land? No, for the sight of the land made clear to him that what he had worked for all his life following the will of God was not in vain. There was joy in seeing that the future of the people was secure, that the exodus from slavery in Egypt would be completed. God's work of redemption is not for separate individuals, one here, another there, but rather it is for the whole of creation. Those who are given a glimpse into that astonishing future have their full measure of joy, even though they must wait for the completion of God's work. In fact, all of us still wait for that fulfillment. None of us, no matter how faithful we are, no matter how hard we work, will live long enough to see in this life the future, the fulfillment of the tasks God has given us. 
We are part of a long line of those who work with joy because we trust that our, God, our work given us by God is part of the whole enterprise of bringing the creation to God's goals. That was a long passage, but the reason I thought it was important was because the work of the prophets, every single prophet you, you read about, doesn't get the full fulfillment of their work during their lifetime. In fact, Hebrews 11 says that, that those who, who were martyred for Christ, who died for Christ, who suffered for Christ, who were punished for Christ, they, their joy is only found in us. They didn't get the fulfillment in their lifetime. And yet, what did they do? They worked and they worked and they searched and they inquired just so that Christ could be revealed to you. They knew they were working not for themselves, but for you. That person who shared the gospel with you, they shared shared the gospel with you, and some of them don't even know if you're a Christian today. They don't know the end of that work. But they entered into the wilderness. They entered into the fear. They entered into the tribulation, tribulation of sharing the gospel with somebody that may not have understood it and may not even care so that you could have the glory of God revealed to you. They did that for you. Not knowing if what they were doing was going to be fulfilled, but they did it for you. So what does that mean for us? Some of us, I've been working and working and working and searching and inquiring and trying to figure out what does this discipleship stuff mean? Why am I sharing the gospel? When is God's justice really going to come? And the reality is we may not know it in our lifetime, but what we get from Moses and from all the prophets and from every preacher that has gone before us is that it is totally worth it because God is bringing his salvation to bear and you can't stop it and I can't stop it. And even if we don't see it in our lifetime, God's going to do it. He has promised to do it. So don't give up. Keep preaching the gospel. Keep making disciples. Keep fighting for justice. Keep reading the Bible. Keep imagining what creation is going to be like. Because one day we're going to see what this leaf we've been drawing, the tree that it comes from. It's going to be worth it. Don't stop. When you get to the Middle East, don't stop. When you get back to where Rogers, don't stop. When you get back to Hillcrest, don't stop. At OU, don't stop. At the clinic, don't stop. In Yukon, don't stop. It's worth it, church. Jesus will keep his promise. We are heirs of a covenant with a faithful God whose steadfast love endures forever. Our faith is the evidence. It is the substance of what we hope for. The gospel is bigger than we think. Let's not stop until we get all of it. Why don't you bow your heads with me and let's pray.
Our Father, I'm humbled by the fact that everything we're talking about, we didn't deserve. But you give it to us simply as a gift of grace. When you call us to work with joy in the middle of suffering, when you call us to share the gospel with a stranger, or with a neighbor who we know, we know doesn't know Jesus, when you call us to love our neighbor as ourself, when you call us to seek each other's good above our own, all that stuff is an invitation into your grace, the inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. I pray for my friends and for myself. We would never grow weary of exploring and examining and searching and inquiring for the gospel. You are so good. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.